Chapter 12, Part 2, from the sermon series, The Gospel of John, spoken by Pastor Doug Cho. I think it's safe to assume that the majority of us, if not all of us, dislike pain. I don't like pain. I got the flu. Um, not right now, but when the new year rolled around, I caught the flu, and I experienced the pain. It was a lot of pain. Um, my best friend and I, we had gone out uh, to an activity called Activate, right? It's just you run around and you s- step on lights. It's really fun. It's very physical. And I thought I was sore because of the physical activity, but it turned out, no, I have body aches and fever. <laughs> and so I proceeded to be sick for many days, and I experienced pain. And then my wife experienced pain taking care of me. (laughs) I only laugh because she got sick too. Um, But when we experience pain, the way we endure looks different, right? So when I got sick, you know, like, sometimes you just got to moan a little bit because it's so painful, right? So I'm in bed, I'm like, ugh. Oh, and it like makes you feel better to moan a little bit, right? My wife, on the other hand, endures quietly, right? She just, like a rock. And I'll like check in on her. I'll be like, are you okay? She's like, don't touch me, right? Whereas I want to be pampered and touched. And so we endure Different. I am a low-maintenance patient, I promise, okay? I am a low-maintenance patient, I promise. But the way we even endure pain is different, right? In fact, the way we endure hardship is quite different from one or another. We have specific ways in which we endure these things. Some of us, we need to tell everybody. The world needs to know we're going through something. And some of us, quietly, silently, well... Today's text, as we continue to look through Jesus' farewell to his disciples, is going to talk about enduring. Specifically, enduring when we as Christians experience persecution, rejection, and pain. The great thing about this particular section of scripture is it's actually very straightforward. And so there's not much to like explain here. You read it and it's like, this is what he means. Right? It's very straightforward, hard to confuse this. But the hard thing about this is that because it's very straightforward, there really is no way to avoid this text if one is to call themselves a follower of Christ. If you are a Christ follower, you will experience pain. This weekend, we also look toward honoring and remembering the life and the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Some will admire his work, his achievement, the things that he's done, the goodness, while others might critique his personal life. But I believe it would be wrong not to acknowledge and honor his suffering and his pain. Not just the racism he experienced during that time, Not just the death threats, not just the rejection, not even just the misrepresentation of his cause. Dr. King truly fought a battle 
for civil rights. And this would be something that would cost him his life eventually. He carried his cross and he struggled and endured. So today in that light, we're going to look at some simple instruction from Jesus as he teaches us on how to endure in the name of Jesus. Okay? But before we look at the word, let's just commit this time in prayer together. feel led to share this psalm. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, you his servants. Praise the name of the Lord. Let the name of the Lord be praised, both now and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory above the heavens. Who is like our God? the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sits them with the princes, with the princes of his people. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we praise you, God, because you are here. You are dwelling with us, Lord God. And in that, we hope to hear from you, Lord. So would you speak? Speak life over your people. Speak life right now over your people, almighty God. We call upon the name of Jesus to reign over this place right now. Would you consecrate it, make it your sanctuary, fill it with the train of your robe. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm reading from John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done it among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And, he will, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus had just given beautiful instruction to his people, right? I, I, I hope that whenever you read, when Jesus talks about the vine, 
right? And those who remain in Jesus and bear fruit in the vine, you're deeply encouraged because what Jesus is talking about there is he's talking about his active presence, being with his people, that even though he's not with us, he's with us. That you can remain in the Lord in that way. Stay in his presence. Receive life from him in that way and bear fruit of God. It's a beautiful image that he gives. Beautiful instruction. And then he he kind of tails off with this command. Love one another. Love one another. Stay in love with each other. It's really important here. Because now he makes a shift. He makes a shift here and he begins to talk about the Christ followers interaction and life with the world that we live in. And immediately, we're kind of dropped into this situation where there isn't much of a choice in the matter. Jesus doesn't tell his people, go win over the world. Or go swoon the world. Or go convince the world. He goes straight to, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. That word if is obviously conditional. However, in the coming verses and chapters, Jesus does confirm this is, this is pretty much a guarantee in our lifetime. And if we do look at church history, persecution and hatred for those who have decided that Christ is Lord is quite the common theme. I mean, even the apostle Paul was a persecutor before he met the living Christ. And so without going into the deep and long history of Christian suffering, we acknowledge that our faith stands on a tradition of suffering and persecution. In fact, the church thrives under suffering and persecution. When the world tries to stomp out the church is when the church rises up to its greatest strengths. That is the tradition that we have received as people who follow Christ. The second thing we have to acknowledge before we go into this text is we in America have it so good. The fact that we can stand here risking little to nothing as we sip on coffee and eat our bagels is quite the blessing. And we should be, in fact, be very grateful that we can stand here today sit here with each other in peace. In fact, it's quite accepted to be considered Christian in America, isn't it? However, number three, our final acknowledgement is, as Christians, our lives are called to look markedly different from the world that we live in. Our lives are called to look markedly different from the world that we live in. Many of us hear of the phrase, in the world, but not of the world. And while that phrase makes a lot of sense, it sounds really nice, the majority of people here are working professionals who have relationships with people outside the church. We need to ask ourselves this question every now and then. How am I different from the world? How is my life different from the world around me? And to be honest, it's really hard to distinguish sometimes. It's really hard, especially because pop culture has embraced and owned a lot of Christianity. Right? I hate, I don't, I don't want to mention this, right? But 
Lil Nas X. If you don't know who that is, don't look it up. Don't look at it. Don't. But essentially, he's a music artist that has kind of claimed Jesus for himself in the most bizarre way. But that's what they've done. So, at a glance, these verses, if they tell us anything, is that there can be no casual followers of Christ. You're either all in or you're all out. You're all in or you're all out. You only get to do one or the other. Okay? Jesus continues here. Verse 19. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. We actually see a really cool link that Jesus is making here between remaining in him, being part of the vine, right, versus belonging to the world. And essentially what he's saying here is that you just can't have both. You don't get to produce fruit while being embraced by the world. He emphasizes this by giving us a command here. The command is remember. Remember. And this is the first instruction gives, Jesus gives us when it comes to enduring. Remember what I told you. I was persecuted. Jesus was persecuted. And if Jesus, our master and our Lord, was persecuted, well then, what does that mean for the rest of us? For those who follow him, for those who claim that they are under him, well, guess what? That means they will be persecuted as well. So do not be caught off guard when it happens. Do not sit and sulk and ask why there's been a rejection. Do not pray it away. A lot of us, are, our response, our posture is, God, take it away. I don't want this, Lord. But maybe God is inviting you to step into that place. Unfortunately, that mindset, Lord, make this go away, is the wrong mindset. In fact, we are even called to welcome this in our lives. Remember that Jesus told us, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We live for such a faith. He calls us to remember. Remember the life that I've lived. Remember that I've suffered. Remember that it was on your behalf. Mm. Now, there's a small caveat here. Verse 21. They would treat you this way because of my name. Other translations translate this to on my name's account. I find it quite important to highlight this, this verse here. Because some of us, some of us, I'm not looking at anyone, unfortunately, a lot of the greater church, too, receive backlash and rejection 
because of ourselves. I find it quite deplorable and honestly quite arrogant when an individual or a large or famous church entity uses this passage to justify themselves for stupidity or a mistake that they've made or ignorance. It's, if the media has done anything for the church, it's highlighted that for some reason, a large part of our church, I'm talking about the greater church, has become defensive and forgotten the basic kindness of Christ, which is ironically a fruit of the Spirit, along with gentleness and self-control, which would tell me they're probably not remaining in Jesus, which makes you think. This is not the persecution that Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is not asking you to be persecuted on account of yourself. The persecution that Jesus is talking of is one that comes on the account of his name. Because of his name. It is done literally because of Christ in you. And we have to identify something while we're talking about this. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever, teach, whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen. And yet they have hated both me and my father. This is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When Jesus is talking to the disciples here, the group of people that he's actually talking about that will persecute them aren't the ones that have no idea who Jesus is. Jesus is referring to the people of God who have actively rejected his teachings. Who are these people? We're talking about the religious leaders. We're talking about the Pharisees. We're talking about the scribes. We're talking about the educated people in the temple who have heard Jesus' teaching. They have seen the miracle for themselves. They witnessed with their own eyes the healing of people, the restoration of the blind, the rejected, coming back into the community. They said, no. This is not of God. Jesus is talking about these people. These are the ones who will persecute you. That's what he means when he says they're guilty because I've spoken to them. They sat under Jesus' teaching, but they continued to reject him. And this actually needs to be terribly concerning for us today as believers. We need to understand that as we live for Christ, there will certainly be people who claim Christ as their own who persecute us. We actually live in a time where church is extremely complicated. Church is really complicated now, people. On many fronts, the church of Jesus Christ is fractured and divided. We can't even agree with each other. You look on any online forum. We are so piss poor online. You look at the comment section, and we just, all these people, well, actually. And there is no grace. There is no dignity. There is no integrity there. And the world sees this. On many fronts, we are fractured and divided. 
The more globalized we come, we become as a people, the faster news and information become accessible. All of this has elevated not just the amount of information that we digest and that we intake, it's actually widened and expanded the landscape in which we're now called to respond to. See, in doing so, we've tremendously increased the amount of stress that we experience. You don't live in your local town anymore. Your local newspaper isn't your primary source of information anymore. You pick up your phone, you see what's going on around the world in an instant. And so we don't have this convenient excuse anymore to say, well, I just didn't know. Because your phone is constantly yapping at you. So unfortunately, ignorance is a very poor excuse. But even in this, right, there are complexities I'm not going to talk too much about, right? But even as individuals, we need to learn how to navigate social media and its algorithms and the way that it feeds into your self-confirmation bias and all these things. <sighs> Critical thinking has never been more necessary now than ever. And you know what's crazy? It has never been at such a low All of this, all of these things create this storm, this chasm between people. And I'm just, I'm just talking about the church. It causes this gap between people within the church where when we disagree, we come to a point where we, we eventually walk away wondering if the other person knows Christ at all. Persecution will come from all sorts of places. But we're called to live into that space here. See, to be persecuted and rejected on the account of the name of Jesus. Remember, this is not on the account of ourselves. This is not on the account of being rude and narrow-minded. It's in the name of Jesus. And that's why it would be sinful to blindly agree to any party's political agenda without critiquing it for yourself. And it would be sinful to ignore the plight of black women, men and women without giving a thought about how Jesus would respond to black men and women. It would be sinful to ignore the thousands of children in Gaza who have been killed and massacred. We can say that here. And the call here, mind you, the call here isn't for you to be on the right side of every argument. I don't want you to be that person. Jesus doesn't want you to be that person. The call here is to struggle through these things. Remembering God's heart for these things. Re Jesus tells us, remember, he doesn't want you just to remember that he died for you. He wants you to remember that he has a heart for the least of these. He wants you to remember that he sees the poor, the oppressed, the ones who have no voice. 
and his heart goes out to them. He wants you to remember the people that he's touched, those who were rejected by society, that these were the ones that Jesus approached, that he touched, the ones that no one else would touch, and he restored them to re-enter back into community because that was his heart for his people. These are the things that he wants us to remember as we struggle through these issues. So whether you're right or wrong, whatever, are you struggling through them? Are you remembering that our God is a God who called his people to fight for justice and to love mercy? Are we remembering that our God has called us to forgive one another? even our enemies. And at the end of it all, are we remembering that our God has called us to love? That love would be the defining thing of his people. Does that define you today? And just as Christ was hated without reason, you might be hated for your love. You might be hated for your love in the name of Jesus. But then you must also remember, Jesus was also hated for his love. Remember. Verse 26. When the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. The final thing Jesus leaves us with in this chapter is reassurance. Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit to God's people. The Spirit won't deliver you from said persecution, but the Spirit will testify about Jesus. And that's the last thing we're called to do as we endure. We're called to listen and to testify. And this word testify, we can take as that it is bearing witness to the works that Jesus has done, right? So now we're talking about his healing, the miracles, the feeding, his, his words, his teachings, his sermons, his death on the cross, his resurrection. We can, we, we're testifying to those things, yes. But it's also testifying to the works that our Jesus is currently doing right now in this moment, we worship a living God, amen? Our mighty high priest is continuing a work until he returns in glory. And the spirit testifies of that work. We must listen to the spirit in this way, testifying of the work because this world is not our home. But we look towards that which is being prepared. And because we are his disciples, we too have to testify on his behalf. We testify with our mouths and our voices, but we also testify with our lives. Now, why is this important? Well, if the world is rejecting you, let's just sort this out logically. If the world is rejecting you, the only thing that really waits for you outside of God is hopelessness, despair, and rejection. Remember here that Jesus is preparing the disciples for his betrayal and his death. He's saying farewell because he's going to die. 
He's preparing them for their own failure during this time. That's why he tells Peter, Peter, you're going you're gonna to deny me three times. He's preparing them for failure because if they are unable to remember and listen to the Spirit, they won't move forward. And we see that soon after. What did the disciples do when Jesus died? They hid out of fear. They went back to their old lives out of hopelessness. They forgot that Christ was their living hope because they did not understand the power of resurrection there. And thus, we need to ask ourselves, is Jesus truly the one, the one we place our hope in? Is Jesus truly the one we find our greatest joy and delight in? Is it, is it Jesus? Is he higher than anything else in our lives? Is he greater? Because I'll tell you this. If he is, this whole passage, this is a cakewalk. It's nothing. The world will reject me? Fine. I have no ground in that. Why, why do I care about the world when all of my hope is beyond it? But if your hope and your joy and your delight linger there, now this becomes scary. Because those things will betray you. They will push you away. They will reject you. Persecution will come. But if your hope stands on the rock of Christ, you will be unshakable. Remember, listen to the Spirit testify of the work that Christ is doing. And then testify for ourselves. You know, like, I've been, I've been listening to that song, Refiner's Fire. It's a beautiful song, right? Great words, great lyrics. We always sing it. We're all, oh, Lord, Refiner's Fire. My heart's one true desire is to be holy, right? Precious silver, like gold. But then we forget how hot fire is. You know what it means to be refined in fire? We talk about the potter form. Oh, we talk about the potter <laughs> firing up clay. And we see the reaction of a kiln. When you fire something up thousands of degrees, there's change there. Water is sapped away, but it's painful, it's suffocating, it's hot. But if Christ is your one true hope, this is joy because you're being made like him. See, my daughter, um, she does this thing now. I don't know. She just turned three, so I don't know if she's going through like a phase or it's just a stage. Who knows, right? 
But she does this thing where she has to place everything, and I'm talking about everything, her, her toys, her family, her friends, her, her babysitters. She has to place everything into impossible situations. You know what I'm talking about? I have never been imprisoned so many times in a day. You're in jail. You're in jail. You're in jail. And this jail is no ordinary jail. This jail is surrounded by sharks. And these sharks swim in lava. Right? So I'm in prison. I'm surrounded by sharks. But the floor is lava. And she says, who will save us, daddy? Who will save us, daddy? She imprisons herself too. So we're sitting there on our island, imprisoned with all these toys. Who will save us? And I say, daddy will save us. And she says, no, you can't save us. And I said, daddy won't save us. We're stuck there. Sometimes she's in the Paw Patrol. Chase will save us. And I don't know if it's because I'm like, like a pastor, right? But sometimes when she says, who will save us, daddy? I'll take her, I'll take her face. I say, Lucy, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will save you. I try to have this like moment with her. She's like, no! Right? But I think about that question. And I, I, I just think it's so funny because... Sometimes we feel like we're in impossibly hopeless situations, doesn't it? And it takes me back to when I received my call to ministry. Because life was good. I was working in the city. I had a lot of pride in my job. I lived in an apartment with my best friend. Things were great. I served at the church. I led a small group. I was so happy. And then God was like, you're going to become pastor. I said, no. Because <laughs> I was scared. Because in that moment of my life, I had literally just reconciled with my family. My family and I have such a complicated, tumultuous relationship. Why am I stirring things up again on the account of this? Why do I have to be a pastor? I didn't even like the vocation, to be honest. But I remember something during that time because when I entered into it, my whole family called me stupid and naive. They made fun of me. Like we would have family gatherings, they would make fun of me. And so there was this time where I don't know what it was, maybe it was a tactic, but my dad would invite me out to dinners with his friends. And these were like quote unquote important people, right? And we would have dinner and we would sit there and they would talk smack about me in front of me. Talking about how stupid I was and how naive I was to leave my job and to enter into something that's so, I don't know, that felt so ethereal to them. I don't know. And then we would leave. And I remember this one night. We were in Korea. We were walking home back to our place. And he looked at me, he goes, don't you see? Don't you see how crazy everyone thinks you are? 
And you know what I thought to myself in that moment? I had never been more convicted about my faith and my decision at that time. I had never felt more right about the decision than in that moment when he told me everyone thought I was crazy. And it made me realize something inside myself. Because my faith family affirmed my call. The Lord had affirmed my calling in my life. But the people that I was desiring all this approval from, they just wouldn't give it to me. And I said, you know what I said? I said, Lord, then I don't need it. And you know what? I had never experienced so much freedom in something ever. You will be persecuted. You will be told you're crazy. But my hope and prayer for you is in those moments, you will never feel more right about following Jesus. Let's pray together. At this time, um, I think it'd just be appropriate for us to go before the Lord. And if there's anything that you feel like you're holding on to right now, just present that to him. What I love about God is he will never force you to bend your knee. He will never force your hand. He will never oppress you in that way. But like the prodigal, he will welcome you as you approach warmly. He will cover you. He will restore you. And he'll wait for you. So for those of us in this room that are holding on to something, will you be able to give that up to the Lord in Jesus' name for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the work that he's done in your life, to honor him, to be all in for him, submitting yourself to him in this way, Saying, Lord, I want to hold nothing back, but I offer all of me. I offer all of me, Lord, because you're worth it. This world is not my own. I belong to you, God. And I want to give you all of me. And if you pray this prayer, it might be painful. It might be hard. There might be fire. But the beauty of it all is you glimpse eternity in the fire. you become more like Jesus.
So if you're holding on to anything right now, ask him, Father, what would you like to do with this? It's not mine, it's yours. I promise he'll answer. Our God is faithful. Our God is just. He's righteous. He's good. Anything he calls you to. Anything he calls you to will be for goodness, for his glory. I promise you, you will never regret it. You will never regret following after him. So, Father, we thank you for this time. We just pray, God, that we could become a people who are marked by you. That, Lord, our peers, our coworkers, our friends, our families, they would know that we live for Christ. And we desire him to rule and to reign. Let your kingdom come, Lord. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.